All right, y'all. Good evening. Good evening. You're truly Dr. Barry Pierre bringing you another special episode of The Real Physician Reacts. This is our weekly live series where I come on here and talk about something that I think is very important that comes across my timeline. So if, you, if you're if you watching, if you're watching me live, first of all, I appreciate you. Make sure you hit the like. Make sure you send some hearts out. We appreciate you. Those who catch this on the podcast, whenever you catch this on the podcast, I suggest you hop over here on TikTok where we go live and discuss these things. So now this is some news that kind of came out within the past week. Unfortunately, when it came out, uh, your friend was ill, right? Yes. Like, yes, doctors can get sick as well. Um, This time, the culprit wasn't even like a regular patient. It was actually my mom. I was taking care of my mom. She came down with some illness. Of course, I did what sons do, took good care of her. And probably like three days later, those same symptoms she had, I got, right? Like lost voice. You know, I was down in bed for probably like a day and a half. Um, y'all, y'all know doctors work a lot. So I was back at work on Monday. Um, you know, whole different discussion. But uh, we are here to talk about some important news, especially for a patient population that I've discussed here on the lives, on my podcast, on my blogs for the better part of like a decade now, which is our patients with sickle cell disease. And I've talked a lot about sickle cell patients and the scrutiny, the persecution, I don't say persecution, but that's a strong word, but like just the you know, the the ill presence um, and ill kind of care that they would receive because they were sickling patients, because they were coming to the hospital, dealing with these chronic issues. And um, it mentions kind of these vasal occlusive issues. But we just typically call it like a sickle cell crisis, right? Like that is what they've been dealing with. And I've taken care of lots of patients over the decade that I've been out doing medicine as an attending physician and and I don't obviously I don't have sickle cell disease, but I, I've had friends and family members with sickle cell disease. And I understand the plight of going to the hospital, saying you're in pain and someone not believing you. Like there's plenty of studies out here, especially for a black woman. Sorry. Plenty of studies out here that talk about this aspect of people not believing you when you are in pain and no population faces that more, no population faces that more than our sickler patients. So when this news comes across my feed, right, FDA approved sickle cell treatments, including one that uses CRISPR, right, my eyes light up. One for the technology. Y'all know me, especially if you've been following me. I'm a big uh, technology buff, especially when it comes to healthcare. I think a lot of times people will take for granted that we can have technological advances when it comes to, you know, our cell phones, when it comes to our computers, when it comes to our cameras. But for some reason, they don't think those technological advances like will end up in medicine. And I love seeing when technology technology and medicine marry together and have, you know, produce such a beautiful baby. So genetic medicine is the next frontier of the type of medicine that we are going to get to. And we're not going to dive deep into it tonight because that, that's a whole different discussion uh, that, you know, for some reason, it draws people on opposite sides. We're just going to be talking about the people who are going to be helped with news like this. So what? So what's happening? 
FDA approved two new treatments. Uh, the first one, I'll make, I want to make sure I got, I got their names correct. Uh, Cascavy, the next uh, name is Life uh, Genia, Left Genia. Uh, I apologize if you're a part of that company and I pronounced that name wrong. Uh, both are two remedies, uh, gene therapy remedies for patients with sickle cell disease. And what is the problem with sickle cell disease? We'll do a quick little education. What is the problem with sickle cell disease? Sickle cell disease is a genetic disorder that, cause, that causes our blood cells to sickle. Like it actually sickles. If you know what a sickle means, it's like the moon shape. It causes the sickle. The unfortunate problem when it sickles is that it gets stuck in our blood vessels and causes pain and causes the inability of blood flow and oxygen to pass. So think what happens, right? And we've talked about this in the past. What happens when you have a lack of blood flow? When you have a lack of blood flow in the heart, we call it a heart attack. When you have a lack of blood flow in the brain, we call it a stroke. So imagine you having a genetic disorder that precludes you to have lack of blood flow to multiple areas of the body, including the kidneys, the spleen, the heart, the brain, the legs, every organ you can think of. There's going to be an issues where you're having a lack of blood flow due to these sickling cells. And it only gets worse. And it's not like something that gets better when you're uh, you know, older. No, it only gets worse the older you get. And you'd be surprised the amount of patients, especially teenage to young adult patients with sickle cell disease who already don't have a spleen. I want you to think about that. They lost a spleen by the time they're a young adult. And the reason why is because the spleen is, I, I like to call the spleen almost like our, our garbage collector, right? Our spleen does a good job at picking out the impurities in our blood and getting rid of them. But the problem is when, you're, when your whole cellular line of blood is dealt with impurities, the spleen overworks, overworks itself, overworks itself. And then because of how sickle cell disease is, you have lack of blood flow and then it actually infarcts on itself. So the spleen actually infarcts, actually dies on itself from being overworked to the sickle cell disease. So that's again. And from a patient perspective, right? So you because you guys don't need to necessarily know the clinical aspect of it from a patient perspective. What does that mean? You have a patient who who are again typically African-American or Asian-American um, or Asian uh, descent. Uh, you typically have a patient who is ends up in the hospital for multiple uh, issues associated with sickle sickling crisis, um, whether it be due to intense pain, whether it be due to the infarcted organs, um, illnesses just in general, pneumonia, flu, like whatever the thing is, it's severely affected with our sickling patients. And what uh, typically occurs is because the pain is so great. If you have, if you know anyone who has sickle cell disease. If you know anyone who has sickle cell disease, ask them to try to describe what that pain feels like. They, they just don't know. They just say their body hurts everywhere. And a lot of times it gets localized. So a lot of times maybe their arm hurts. Maybe their leg hurts. Maybe their back hurts. And there's really nothing they can do. There's no, no position. Uh, there's no water. Like there's nothing that they can do to try to prevent this. So it gets to the point, you know, and what I love my hematologists, oncologists, doctors for this, is that they try to manage the pain on an outpatient basis, right? They try to give you pills to deal with the pain, to the discomfort until you can't no more. And then you end up in a hospital. And because of the, I, I like to blame, I don't like to blame, but it's kind of true. Because of the opioid in, epidemic, right, that, that, you know, actually destroyed this country, right, it continues to cause us problems, you now have a class of healthcare professionals 
who don't believe, right, like that you're in the type of pain that you're in. Why? Because when I run, there's labs that I run and all of your labs look normal. What do you mean you're in such intense pain? Like, no, your heart rate's fine. What do you mean you're in such intense pain? Because these are people, sickle, sickle patients, if you talk to sickle cell patients, they will tell you that they're always in pain. Like, you know, the, um, um, who is it? Bruce Banner, right? When he talks about like, uh, again, if you're a Marvel fan, right? Where he talks about like, no, I'm always angry, right? Like sickle cell patients are always in pain. What tends to happen is, is this pain enough that I need to sit down somewhere for a day? Is this pain enough that I need to go to the hospital? That's what typically happens. So it's not as they go, you know, four weeks, one month, no pain whatsoever. It's just that they're always in pain, but they kind of deal with it. They kind of deal with the discomfort until they can't deal with it no more. So then they run to a healthcare system that's supposed to be taking care of them and they do nothing of the sort. And I've said this before, unfortunately, Uh, they... And again, because I've I've been the hospitalist physician who's had to convince other hospitalist doctors like, hey, you know what? Just give them payment. Like, what like what are we doing here? Like, what are we doing here? Like, even if right, let's let's and I and I always give I always give my docs and my medical students the benefit of doubt, right? A residents benefit of doubt. So, all right, let's say they're pain seeking, right? Let's say that's the issue that they have. Like, what are we going to do about it? We're hospitalist doctors. If a person is coming here to say, hey, I'm dealing with this, some discomfort, I'm dealing with some pain, like we got to do what we have to do. Like so so for us to try to change right this this matter now it doesn't make any sense in the world. Right. Like take care of the pain. Like and pain is such a significant issue where we think that a person in pain has to have a high heart rate, high all these other things here. But again, when you always live in pain, you know, your blood pressure could be normal. When you always live in pain, your labs can be normal, but you're just dealing with the pain. You're just dealing with these crises because, again, there's not great lab tests that show, oh, yeah, this person is in a sickle cell crisis. Right. That's yeah. Someone said it's like the localization of pain is just normal. It just it's normal. Like they just like, all right. Yep. It just is what it is. I'm going to have this pain today. Um, And I've had patients who had go to who had gone to multiple hospitals just to be admitted to deal with their pain. Multiple hospitals, right? I got plenty of stories for you, right? We won't, you know, I won't bog bog it down now. But there's plenty of stories where these patients are going, coming to our system of care and not feeling loved, not feeling cared for and feeling shunned away. So when I see this article right here that says, hey, this this a new treatment, right, that could possibly take that feeling away from them. Like I'm jumping for joy right now. Of course, there's some questions. There's some questions. We got some questions. And I know because I, uh, I, I, I know how uh, everyone's thinking. Right. When you have the sickle cell crisis. Right. And now you have these treatment options. What goes on? What is happening with these treatment options? And more importantly, what the process. Right. Because it's not like, hey, you know, I take this pill and I'm, and I'm on my way. Unfortunately, it is not. Because what has to happen in uh, a general layman's type of uh, you know form is that. They have to take our original blood cells, our sickle cell patients, right? They have to take our blood cells from the sickle cell patients and then, again, edit them, right? And again, it sounds sci-fi, but I love it, right? It edited them. So now that it stops making those sickling blood cells, right? They have to do that. And there's a, there's a couple things that happen, right? They, you know, obviously, they got to they gotta get your blood cells, right? That's one, right? They have to get your blood cells to do so. 
right? And then they essentially have to give you like chemotherapy to knock down everything that's in your system, right? Why? Because once they take your original blood cells and then they do what they need to do with these new medications here, right? Cascavi and Life Jenny, right? Then they have to put it back in your body, right? But they can't put it back in your body if the old cells are still lying around. So they have to get rid of all the old cells. So this is not a quick process to say the least, right? This is not a quick process. And more importantly, especially for my my economically um, inclined folks on the timeline, this isn't a cheap process. So what so what does that mean to me? Right. So what am I thinking about? Right. When when I see. All right. This is a process that's not quick and not cheap. How is the population who's likely going to benefit actually going to get this? Uh, That's 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 my first question right off the rip. Right. Like how is the again, and I'm biased. Right. How is the African-American population going to get this one? Like, how are they going to find facilities that can, you know, draw their blood cells, you know, keep them hospitalized because you're going to be hospitalized and stay hospitalized while all of this process is happening. Draw the blood cells, give you chemotherapy, send it out to these people here to do the, the gene editing that needs to occur. And then give you back to you, right? Like, like, how are they going to do all of these things here? And then who's going to foot the costs, right? So we got some questions, right? Now, again, and these are valid questions because I know some people are thinking like, all right, like, how, like and I, I want us to have these questions in the back of our mind, but I want us to at least celebrate that there's an option out here. Because before, right, six months before this, there were no options, right? And you had sickle cell disease, you were living with sickle cell disease. You were living with crises that may have had you hospitalized once every quarter, right? Think about that four times a year having to be hospitalized because you're in so much pain. And once every quarter is great. I know I know some patients, they can do very well. And maybe it's only once, uh, once every six months, right? So just twice a year. Right. So it's like so this is going to be life changing. And what the studies have shown and I'm going to do some TikTok videos on the studies that went into it. What the studies have shown is that and what they look for, right, because it's always important. Like, what are they looking for? They say, hey, you know what? We're going to take this population of sickling patients who have had crises in the past year, at least two of them, which means you've had it frequently. And then we're going to give you this treatment and then we're going to monitor you for the next two years and see what happens. And what they found was a success rate. One study had uh, 88% the cascade, 88% success rate of no more vaso-occlusive crisis, aka no more sickle cell crisis that ended up going into hospital. That is life changing. That is life changing. Why? Because that means that now I can now avoid the thought of having to go to the hospital again. I can avoid the thought of having to be hospitalized because I'm in so much pain. A lot of people, unfortunately, will surmise to the constant sickling crisis, the constant infections associated with those sickling crisis and die early. Right. They sickle patients typically have a lower life expectancy rate because of all of these crises affecting every organ. Right. That's what happens. So now you have this treatment process. And like I said, I, I know I know we're thinking, all right, but who's going to pay for this? And where's it going? Like those are valid questions. But I think right now, just having an option 
is such a significant milestone that I don't want it. I don't want the the very obvious questions to kind of push down the news. Right. I want us. And, and that's why I wanted this slide to be a little bit more patient focus. Right. I want us to think about. Yeah, no, this uh, uh, infections are crazy. Yes, because they typically have. Um, someone in the comments said the infections are crazy. Yes, typically our sickly patients deal with pneumonia. They deal with the, any type of viral infection, the flu, um, because, and again, this is just more, you know, kind of putting two to together. Um, the spleen is a very important defensive organ in our body, right? A lot of viral infections like are thwarted because the spleen does what it does. But if you have sickle cell crisis and eventually you have an infarcted spleen that does not work no more, guess what? You are now uh, more likely to deal with infections, especially of the viral nature, right? Like that's a little, this is a little microbial um, uh, discussion. But again, I think it's important to kind of put two and two together. Why patients with sickle cell disease also have uh, these issues with infections. So they're susceptible to infections. And because they're always in the hospital, guess what? Guess who else is in the hospital? Sick people, right? So I'm coming in just to deal with my pain. But now I have to go in a building where there's a lot of sick people over there, right? And because I'm already immunocompromised in a sense, I have to deal with the possible effects that one of their illnesses can get on me, right? It just is what it is. That's the unfortunate. Uh, I can't. Uh, someone says, like, who pays for it? Should it be insurance, Medicaid, Medicare? Shouldn't even be a question. See, that's a that's a very good question. Like, you know, you guys are asking great questions. Like, who should be paying for this type of therapy? You know what I think is going to be important, right? I think, I think what we're going to see, right? And again, I'm just spitballing. I don't know, right? I, I think when we think about, like, who should pay for this, you're going to see... Like, all right, does the cost benefit of having our sickling patients continually going to the hospital, uh, continuing uh, to use up resources in the hospital, continuing to like, you know, have infections and, for, you know, have a lower life expectancy? Like, is it going to cost us more, right, to treat them or is it going to cost us more to treat their sickle cell crisis and act like we don't have a possible treatment option. That's going to be a very that's a that's a big medical medical ethics question that's going to come into play um, that I think is going to be extremely uh, I, I think it's going to be it's definitely going to be debated about because in this, uh, you know, I'm in the United States. Y'all. In this country right here, we don't like really like, you know, helping out those in need. I'll just be honest. I will just be honest. We don't really like. Uh, you know, helping out those in need. So now if you have a significant population that deals with a disorder that can't necessarily pay for a disorder and someone else may have to pay for it, right? You're going to have discussion. We'll just say that. You're going to have a discussion from that standpoint there. But like, it's a very good question. If you ask me, I, I think you're going to get some type of subsidy uh, that comes from the government in one way, shape or form. That's going to help try to minimize some of that cost. Because again, like I said, I'm just I'm just spitballing what the like. Not spit, I'm this is actually the process, but you have to be hospitalized so they can do the procedure to get your blood cells out, right? And it's a specific thing that like, but you have to be hospitalized to do that, which means hospital bills, right? You then have to send that blood that you just got out that patient and send it to the 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 CRISPR. What is a CRISPR? What is this? CRISPR therapeutics, right? I got I got it on my screen over here. You got to send it over there. Then they got to do what they need to do with it, right? To change it genetically so that when they send it back to you, 
Like it's ready to go. So they have to do their thing. Cost right there. Then when they send it back to you, guess what's going to happen? You got to get chemotherapy. The reason why you got to get chemotherapy is because you need to wipe out all of those old cell lines there so we can introduce new ones. Because if we don't do that, it's not going to work. Right. So now, boom, that's another thing. Right. All right. Again, so I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you the costs are piling. And then after they give you the new, um, you know, gene therapy, right, you got to be monitored in the hospital, right, probably for another four to six weeks, right? Like, so there are, again, there's costs, there's time, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered that's going to make it, like, readily available for the population who needs it. Like, I have a master's in public health, and one of the things my uh, professors would always tell me, like, and they would make fun of because uh, we had a lot of medical students who are also getting a master's of public health in the same. I went to Nova at the same time. So my professors would make fun of us and saying, hey, you doctors, uh, that's what they call us. You doctors like you guys are like great at coming out with theories. But then we have to answer the question, how does it get to the actual population? Right. So this is again in theory. Right. Not even theory. This is now practice. Like we have a treatment option right, to treat sickle cell disease. Like, that's not a theory no more. We have it. Now, like, in real life scenario, how do we get it to the population who can get it, who unfortunately couldn't just outright pay for it right off the bat without some support? And then who's going to do the support, right? These are just questions that my public health hat, like, goes on to say, hmm, this is, this is interesting, right? This is great, Ah, but who's going to pay for this? Right. Like who that's again, that's and I And I hate that I think like that, but I just know that, wow, this is what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for technology and medicine to catch up to treat some of these diseases. Like we, we saw we saw the last disease that we had to face where we needed technology to come around and say, hey, I'm ready for you. And if those don't know who I'm, what I'm referencing, I'm talking about COVID. And I'm talking about mRNA technology, right? Like we seen that come to light and we saw the immense benefits of having mRNA technology in our vaccines. We didn't have that before. We got that now. And there's a whole bunch of options that are moving forward that is going to be like it's going to be might be scary to some people. But I like I said, I'm jumping for joy of how we can use that technology for our vaccines and treatment. Now we have another thing. Now we're going to use gene therapy to treat diseases that are genetically embedded that's causing us problems. That is, that would have been far-fetched two decades ago. When I was in medical school, you couldn't even like think about like, hey, you know what? You know, our sickle patients, how come we don't just do a process that removes the gene that causes sickling and then puts a good gene back? Like and for adults, like we couldn't even fathom that. But it's here now. We're in 2023, going to 2024. It's here now. And because it's here now, now we're going to have to deal with the questions uh, that are going to kind of arise from like now having technology. Right Again, when mRNA technology came out, right, it was great. But there's a lot of people who had a lot of questions, right? Valid questions, right? We're not saying those the questions they didn't they had for mRNA vaccines weren't valid. Right. But you just needed people right like myself and others. Right. Who were able to answer them. Right now we're going to need people. Right. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a uh, I don't even know what they call these type of doctors. Right. Who deal with gene therapy. I don't know what type of uh, scientists they are, but shout out to them. Shout out to them. 
We're going to need them to be on the forefront to educate our community to say, hey, you know what? Like, this is why it's going to be so important for us to buy in. Right. Because especially again, I'm biased because I know it affects the community that I take care of on a day to day basis. So I'm saying if it requires chemo, doesn't that make those who get the treatment immunocompromised? Yeah, no. What happens and that's a very good question. Right. So someone says if it requires chemotherapy, does that make those who get the treatment immunocompromised? Yes. And in fact, sickling sickle cell patients are already immunocompromised, like just in their disease process, because of the organ damage that the sickling process causes, they're already immunocompromised. Right. There are already certain vaccines that a sickle cell patient can't get, especially if their spleen is gone because of the fact that the spleen is gone. So they're already immunocompromised in and of itself. But to get the treatment option, which is a great question, Kim, uh, to get that treatment option, we have to like wipe out all of the old blood cells. We have to wipe them all out. So we can then give you the new gene edited blood cells. Now, they're your own. It's not like they. Yes, they came from. I was about to say not. They came from that. They did come from that. It's not like they came out of nowhere. Like the first process is, hey, I'm going to take your old cells first. And what they do, which I think is smart, is that let's say they take your old cells and then let's say they take 100 of them. They sit 20 of them over here. Like, hey, we're going to sit this 20 over here just in case something you know doesn't work then we could give you back your cells. So, so they do that. Very smart. So they take the 20, put it to the side just in case they need to. They take the 80 and then they send it up right to the gene labs to do the special therapy that needs to occur. And then they send it back to you when it's all said and done. Uh, but yes, it's, it's, it definitely uh, will leave you immunocompromised. And, you, and that's why you have to stay in the hospital so long. So this, this is a process where you're in the hospital for a long period of time after you get the chemotherapy and then after you get the new cells, right? Because you don't want to have to run into anyone's new infection. You don't want to do, you, you don't, you have to avoid, like for our patients, um, you may, hopefully, hopefully you guys aren't aware of it, but patients who come in um, and what we call neutropenic, right? So a lot of times I'm taking care of patients who are on chemotherapy, who are uh, getting chemotherapy in the hospital setting. When we go in there, we they get uh, cert, they get different food, they get different trays. When you go in, you're gowned up, gloved up, you know, masked up, uh, like just like COVID. Like you're you you are not only, and, and it's not because you're protecting yourself from getting something. You're protecting them by not giving them what you may have. So there, there's a there's a whole wing of patients and there's a whole protocol of patients when the patient is immunocompromised in the hospital. So, again, you need you need the right hospital setting. So someone mentioned earlier, what about the rural centers? That's a very good question. That's a very good question. Like I said, you guys have amazing questions. Like, And I, and I think these are questions that have to be answered. And I'm I'm very excited to see. Moving forward, how my my gene specialist again? I don't even know. I apologize. I don't know what their specific like title is of those types of uh, scientists who do this. Uh, but I'm very excited to see how they're going to come online and educate us on like how this is like monumental. I can I could just from afar as an internist look and say, wow, this is going to be amazing. 
I'm just going to need them to kind of help bring us over the finish line because I know there's going to be a lot of people who have questions. There's going to be a lot of people who have family members and friends who have sickle cell disease and they want to know, hey, like, can, can, can my friend get this treatment now? Like, can my family member get this treatment now? Is it too late for me now? Like, there's going to be a lot of great questions um, that I know uh, that there's people a lot smarter than me are, are going to be able to answer. So I'm just very excited. Like I said, that, again, I wish I could have brought this to y'all last week, uh, but uh, your friend was sick. I was I was out. Uh, my mom got me sick, but that's okay. We're both better now. Uh, I got my voice. Uh, we're talking again. Uh, and of course, the second I said, you know, the second I get my voice, I'm gonna go live. I said, we got, we said we just gotta do this. We gotta go live, right? We gotta do it. We gotta we gotta educate our community. Um, and I think it's an, a, a, this is a medical breakthrough. Just like mRNA vaccines were a medical breakthrough, this is right on the cuffs. Because again, this is just the start. I don't even want to talk about other disease processes that we can treat with gene editing therapy. We're not even going to. Trust me. If you if if you. Yeah. Trust me. They're not stopping at sickle cell disease. I can 100 percent assure you that that I can assure you they're not going to stop at sickle cell disease with the gene editing therapy. There are again. And this let me put my because I know I know people call me capitalists. Some some of my some of my people, some of my. My followers, they like to call me a capitalist, but I'm just a realist. And I recognize in medicine, they don't typically do things if money is not involved. Right. So I know I'm putting my capitalist hat on and I say, oh, you know what? If they can do this with sickle cell disease, which, again, has a you know finite population, like imagine the diseases that they can do that has a bigger population, a.k.a. a lot more money involved. Like it's happening like I'm pretty again, I'm pretty sure there's studies in the works now uh, for for that to occur. Right? Let me let me ask. I'm gonna answer a couple questions before we get up out of here. Uh, what about patients who bottom out during chemo and can't take no more? Oh, so this is a very good question. So what typically happens during chemotherapy is let's just again let's say boom, you get the chemotherapy, right? So because it's not like a, a a prolonged process per se, right? It's not like for four on weeks you're getting chemotherapy. Yeah, yeah, someone said it. Type one diabetes, so you know it. You know it. Um, a lot of cancers, you know it, uh, because that, that diabetes is definitely what I was thinking about. So let's say you're getting chemo. You might get chemotherapy for like three to five days, right? It may be a three to five day process of chemotherapy. But the thing is, all of the effects from that chemotherapy, you don't start feeling for like two to three weeks, which is why you have to stay in the hospital, because some of the side effects from just chemotherapy in general, if you ask, if you know someone who's on chemotherapy, you know, obviously weight loss. There's a lot of uh, hemoglobin issues, blood related issues, because all your counts drop, your white count, uh, your platelet count, your hemoglobin, all of those counts drop. Again, you become more susceptible to infections, right? Nausea, vomiting. A lot of these things happen but they don't happen while you're getting the chemotherapy. It's a sequelae of after you get said chemotherapy, which is why they typically stay in a hospital. So usually like, yeah, you get that one weaker. You're not feeling symptoms from the one weaker. You're feeling symptoms for the next two to four weeks for the thing that you got in that first week. So that's that's how that's the typical symptom process from it. And the reason why they do that is that they have to wipe out all of those old cellular lines. They have to get them out of there because once they get them out of there, then they can introduce the new genetically modified cells in your body that says, hey, you know what? These are some new ones. And now that you have these new ones, guess what? You're not going to make those sickle cells anymore. 
Guess what? You're not going to have to deal with those crises anymore. You're not going to have to deal with the pain and discomfort that you were dealing with anymore. Like, well, you may have some old pain, but that may be old sequela effects from it that of prior to, but it's not going to be new. Right. So so that's what's happening. Right. For these patients here. Right. Just amazing, amazing uh, results that we're seeing here. And when they when they answer those questions, which a lot of you guys had, you guys had the great questions when they answer those questions. All right. Like, how is it getting to the people it needs to get to and who's paying for it when they answer those questions and are able to really, you know, I don't say mass produce it, but like get it to a level where the population really needs to get is able to get it. It's going to do wonders. Right. And again, someone mentioned the type one diabetes. Once they do that, they're going to the next one. They're going to the next disease and then the next disease. And and again, there's some people who are probably like scared, you know, itless, right? Scared, right? Because now, oh my God, they're going to do gene therapy. and no, 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 no. We're going to be walking zombies. I know that. I know. Trust me. I know. I, I have plenty of my conspiracy theorists in my office, uh, in my practice, in my house. Like, I, so I, know, I, know what, I know what that other side is already thinking. They don't want no discussion uh, about gene editing therapy. Same people who did not want us to even deal with mRNA vaccines. They thought, they thought, if they thought mRNA vaccines was gene editing, when you're actually dealing with gene editing therapy, what, what do you think those same people are, are thinking about right now? They want no parts of this, right? But, you know, again, we'll, we will cross that bridge when we need to cross that bridge. We'll have that discussion when we need to have that discussion. Um, but again, I'm just excited uh, for the news I'm excited. You know, someone said I'm ready for this treatment option. Yes, I am extremely, extremely grateful for uh, this treatment option as well, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pediatric nurse, my most hated disease. Yeah. No, if you take care of kids and fortunately, I'm an internist. I hate to say fortunately, I'm an internist. Right. So if you're 18 above, I got you. 18 and younger. I don't want nothing to do with you. Just hey, I'll just be honest. I don't want nothing to do with you. But if you have taken care of people who just look in pain, just look uncomfortable and are looking at you like, hey, I'm in pain. I know it don't look it, but like I really am hurting right here. And, and the reason why, the reason why it's so bad in the hospital, because let's let's say uh, I know a lot of people like per- I know people are familiar with Percocet. Let's say Percocet. Let's say, uh, you know, your typical patient who comes in with some pain discomfort is asking for like one Percocet. Right. Your, your, your sickling patient, after years and years and years of dealing with pain, they're not asking for the equivalent of one Percocet. They're asking for the equivalent of like eight Percocets, right, in an IV formulation. And you're looking at this, this it could be a little bitty person because they're usually kids, right? A little bitty person, skinny person. And you're like, there's no way I'm giving you, you know, eight Percocets, which is like, let's, let's just call it dilated, right? There's no way I'm giving you that, right? Because that's what you're thinking. You're like, because if I gave my, if I give my, mind you, I had to get my wisdom teeth taken out and the doctor gave me a Percocet and I was drooling over myself. And I was just like, like, how are people doing this? Like, like people are taking more than, like, I didn't know what to do with that. Right. So, but the sickling uh, patient who is usually a child, like can eat those Percocets like it's candy. And you're thinking there's, you think that they're pain seeking, but the fortunate problem is, is that their body is so used to it that that one Percocet does absolutely nothing for them. Two Percocets, absolutely nothing for them. They need four, they need six, they need eight. They need IV medication, right, to get in their system if they want to deal with any of the pain, 
Right. Like that's the that's some of the biggest issue and the gripe that our sickle cell patients have when they go to the hospital is because no one believes that they're in the type of pain that they're in. No one believes it. They're like, no, 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 you're too small. You don't need that much pain medication. I'm only giving you this much. So then they sit there in a hospital for days under um, treated. And then someone says like, oh, you've been here for two days. You're, you're good to go home. And then they boot them out. This Again, I wish I wish I was being hyperbolous with how this typically goes. But if you ask one of your sickle, your sickle uh, cell friends or family members, like, how does it go when you're in a hospital? That's kind of the story a lot of them will give you. Like, that's unfortunate. Right. Like and, and generally said, my, my brother-in-law died from sickle cell. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had a, a cousin uh, who died from sickle cell as well, too. Right. And just the complications from it. And what was unfortunate, right? What was unfortunate that you had people saying, you know what? He's no longer in pain anymore. Like, think about that, right? Like, the person, your family member, friend dies. And one of your thoughts is, you know what? He's no longer in pain anymore. Like, this is the life of our sickle patient, right? This is what they're having to deal with, right? Like, in the general, like that's what this is what they walk around with. So this this therapy, this news is going to be heaven sent, especially once they do whatever they need to do to get it to the people who need it. Because it, it can't be like a Ozampic, right? Like it can't be like Ozampic where the only people who can afford a thousand dollar medication gets it right. Like they are going to have to figure out a way for the people who need to get that medication to get said medication. They're going to have to figure out like that's going to have to happen. Right. Our government's going to step up like, hey, if we got if I got to pay tax dollars, cool. That's I already paid tax dollars. Send it over there. Like, doesn't bother me one bit. Right. Like if if I know that that means I'm going to see these patients in the hospital less because they're pain free and they're able to live their life. Go ahead. Take my money. Not a problem. Right. But it's it, again, we got some tough decisions. We got some tough decisions. I understand it. Right. We're going to have some people who are going to come out against this specifically because it's gene therapy. And again, like I said, they were they were terrified of an mRNA vaccine that had nothing to do with gene therapy. They are definitely going to have a problem with something that specifically has to do with gene therapy. That's going to happen like that is going to happen. We, we just know it. Right. Well, like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, plan B says yeah, therapy. Great. Access to care limited. Yeah. We we are going to have to figure out like how to answer that question. That's the million dollar question. Someone's going to get paid a lot of money to answer. Someone's going to get paid a lot of money to answer. How do we get this to the population that needs to get it? It's great. Great therapy. Right. The way the way we were able to do mRNA vaccines and the way we were able to give it to as many people who could get it. And at this point, it's like billions of people, billions of people have gotten an mRNA vaccine one way, shape or form. The way we do that, like we're going to have to figure out how to do it with this. I'm excited. I'm very excited for what's to come. I know, like I said, like I said, people who get paid a lot more than me are are thinking about like how to answer that question. Um I am going to be following a lot of my again, like I said, maybe like maybe they're geneticists, right? Because I, I was just thinking like what to call the scientists. Maybe they're geneticists. I'm gonna start following geneticists. Maybe if there's a geneticist on TikTok, I don't know. If there's a geneticist on TikTok, at them for me, right? So I can follow them, right? Because I'm gonna be, I got, I got some questions that I, I'm gonna need them to answer, right? So again, y'all be blessed. Y'all have a great evening. Thank you for uh, joining this week's live. Like I said, we do this every Thursday night, 
usually starting about 8.30, 9-ish, something around that time frame. Um, and then I'll be dropping some videos throughout the week, uh, just kind of following up on this amazing news. Y'all be blessed. Have a great day. Make sure if you uh, missed this, I will be dropping this on my podcast tomorrow. Um, it will be on my YouTube page tomorrow as well, right? So you'll, you'll get to catch up to it all. Y'all be blessed. Make sure you hit the likes. Make sure you hit the follow. Um, and y'all have a good one, guys.